So, Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. My name is Sue Ellis Soller, and I'm from Spiritual Business Spotlight. And today I have a fabulous guest who I'm really excited to talk to because he has a background that I think that is important in our work. Hello, Rocco Stefano. Sorry, I messed it up right from the start. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So. Um, hi, it's nice to, to meet you formally and to spend time with you. Definitely. So I'm thrilled to have you here. I see your degree in the background and um, looking. Yeah. Yes. And you're an intuitive advisor with a history or a, an education or a background in social work and trauma care. Is that mm-hmm. correct? That's okay. true. Yes. I think that's an awesome combination, especially for the work that we do. It, it is. Yes. Um, it, it's uh, a lot of times where we're handling, we're in situations where we're holding space for a client who we have no idea where, what they're bringing necessarily to the table. There may be um, nuances that our intuition or our, our you know, uh, instrument might share with us information that we might not have full appreciation for because we're not educated in trauma or we don't have an appreciation for psychodynamic relationships or therapy or a formal industrialized therapy or peer reviewed therapy. Um, and uh, I, that was always something that was deeply important to me in this practice um, because we're, we're, we're holding space for people to heal. And um, I feel, and I can only speak for myself, but I feel I, in order for me to feel comfortable working with people, I need to know that I have, um, I'm taking care of myself physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually so that I can be the best support for the client that's in front of me. I really like that attitude because you bring in something, not only holding space for our clients and caring for them, but also making sure that we're caring for ourselves as instruments, as practitioners, as people who need boundaries and safe zones for ourselves in this work as well. Yeah, yeah that's very important because we can't, I can't take care of another person unless I'm rested and at full strength and because that's always been the, the a big thing about me is, is self-care has to come before, before anything else. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Because too, in the environment that we work in and in the society, unfortunately, that we work in, there's a lot of pressure to always be on. You know, um, when I was working the hotlines, I know girls were leaving their phones next to their bed. And if they got a a hotline call in the middle of the night, they'd wake up to take the hotline call. So they were pretty much on 24 seven. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I don't think that you can provide your best support at that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I I personally, it's, that's, there was a time when I first, when I first took my business full time, because I, I did it part-time for a, about five years and then I took it full-time. And when I did it full-time, I was in that space. I was working like 12-hour days and, and, and so in love with the work and connecting with people and seeing like, you know, sales happening. Like it, and, 
So I can, I can kind of relate, like, I, I agree with you, but I can also kind of relate to that excitement of like oh, yeah. being, being needed by somebody. So there is that kind of allure too. Um, but at this point in, in our careers, like, I, I think it's so healthy to have, you know, hours of business and, and hours of not business. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, totally. And especially in where people can text message you or voicemail you or boxer you at all hours of the day at all times. Um, and I think it's important for us to, sh- to be good examples of boundaries as well for our clients. That's so important. It's so great to hear you say that we are like, and that's how I model myself in my sessions. Like we have to we are so many times when someone's coming and into a session and they're having issues with family members, we have to often, they've, they have never, maybe never had an experience of someone who was an authority figure that could create and show them what a healthy boundary in a relationship is like. So for us to be saying, you know, I'm not available for an in-person check-in as a coach past 5 p.m. on Eastern times in, in America, um, um, and that's because I have, you know, other things I need to take care of that, that starts to teach our clients, you know, how to have those healthy boundaries too. That, that's wonderful. Yes. That, yes. Yeah. I'm all like, we're like, yay, yay. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it just, it's important. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been, you look really young for having been in this space since like 1999. <laughs> Is that? Right. Well, 19, I, I began my studies in 99. I started working professionally in 2007. Okay. Um, maybe a little sooner than that. Um, but uh, I'm, I turned 42 in January. Oh, wow. Age yeah. 12 then. Thank you. I do a lot of yoga and ballet and weight training. Those are big things, part of my life. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and just it seems like your attitude and the self-care too is probably a big part of that as well. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here without the self-care, without the um, really knowing what Rocco, what I need. I need certain things in, in set before I can go and, um, and be a support to others. So. Definitely. Definitely. Now, if somebody were to, like under what circumstances or situation would somebody reach out to you for support? So, and I've actually been thinking about this a lot because I took um, some time off to get two additional degrees since my social work degree. And I actually just completed um, a dual degree in history and philosophy with a minor in creative writing um, in December. So while I was doing that, I was still seeing clients, but definitely at a very low, you know, like uh, a very small scale compared to what I was doing beforehand. And uh, so the last few weeks I've been like, I, I have a job that's low key right now. I'm actually studying for the LSAT because I'm preparing to go to law school in the next two years. Wow. That's another part of my journey. Yeah. And I'm just so excited. And uh, so I have this space to take on one or two clients. I have a few hours a week that I can start to take on clients again. And I've been re-asking myself, who do I want to see now? And who, who am I here for now? Um, and I will say, uh, maybe we'll get a little into uh, uh, the trauma and the, and the journey that my practice has brought me to this moment. 
But I will say currently, I'm, I'm really here for people who are, you know, really ready to hear the things that they have been that are difficult. People who are ready to who know that there's some maybe a secret or a block or they're aware that there's something they're not facing quite yet. They can't put their finger on it. And they come to me and I give them a reading session and I'll lay out the blueprint and the maze and show them, you know, what's going on currently and then um, and give them action tips that are rooted in, you know, psychodynamic therapy and um, uh, and uh, and coaching that can give them action steps to uh, move through wherever they currently are. And if that includes um, I have a, a, a wide network of, uh, of psychotherapeutic uh, professionals, trauma therapists, uh, uh, talk therapists, and spiritual practitioners that I've referred clients to over the years that um, if, I'm, if it's not in my wheelhouse, I'm going to refer you to them so that you can continue and do that work with them. So, so yeah. That's really awesome. And I love the combination because this is, this is the future of healing in, in my own personal opinion, this, this mm -hmm. intersect of talk mental therapy, health. of total mental health and being open and honest and, and allowing people to have access to a wide range of tools and practitioners who are there to support and guide them and hold space. And because I don't know what kind of tools you use, maybe we can talk about that a little bit, like if you use tarot cards or if you use oracle cards as a part of your work, or if you do more, um, because I know you're an intuitive advisor as well. So deep listening is a big part of intuition too, because there are mm -hmm. things that people say and there are things that people don't, don't say. say. Yes. yes, that's yes. it. Yes. And a lot of times the, the answers are in those. And, and also, you know, not to be, not, not dissin the fortune tellers at all in our, in our community, but there's also this place of self-discovery, self-awareness, and guidance of the self where we're not there to give them answers where they're the tenants. That's the tenets of social work is a strengths-based perspective, motivational interviewing, um, holding space for the person to use their own self-determination to navigate out of the pain that they're experiencing. Yes. Yes. And that's what we end up doing <laughs> as, as, as healers and readers as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you wanted to talk a little bit about the trauma experience and, and working with dealing with trauma. Is this in regard to your own history that took you in along a journey? Yes. And thank you for asking. It's uh, my whole experience as a, a spiritual practitioner. I guess I should preface it by saying that my business as a practitioner, I think has not only saved my life, but also given me direction that, you know, existing as a survivor of trauma in the world, you know, I, I didn't have the same trajectory where, you know, I went to school and, you know, a teacher inspired me and said, you need to be over here. Like, this is where the rest of people like you are, you know, have a surviving complex trauma. 
um, you don't always have the ability to hear or connect with those kinds of mentors. So it was really my spiritual-based practice that helped me to um, find my path, which is leading me to law school now. Um, my journey as a practitioner has always been informed by my, my inner child. Um, I survived a, a very difficult childhood. And in order to survive, I needed to um, be, become hypervigilant to navigate the adults that were making the, the life for all of us particularly difficult. And this journey has always been informed by my younger self's uh, desire and need to be heard and to be healed. So, and to, I've learned two things, you know, over the course of 15 years of working in this field. And the first thing is healing is hard. I think sometimes it's, we, we see these posts uh, that make healing seem like, oh, well, if you just change your thinking, or if you change your shirt, or if you eat this, you know, it's just, it's just this one trick. And it's sometimes that one trick will open up like seven more tricks that need to be taken care of. And it becomes exhausting. So if you don't have the support, if you don't have, you know, peer reviewed research that backs up the support that you're going to that that is linked to maybe a hundred years of other professionals contributing to that field that says, you know, maybe this would be helpful and not this right now, it's easy to get lost and exhausted and, you know, disappear. So um, knowing that this healing is, is not necessarily an easy thing, and that is not only normal, but human, it makes, it's a celebr it should be celebrated that this is, I have a, I have a friend who is in recovery and uh, one of the things that, that she tells me sometimes is that uh, a favorite quote is they, we wish you a long, slow recovery. Uh, that this isn't a race. Like this is, it's, you, we are where we are. And, uh, and we need to, for the best healing to happen, the optimal healing to happen, we just need to let it happen as it, as it, will, as it needs to, to, to happen. Well, and that gives it so much a more realistic quality too, because like you're saying, I mean, there's far too many people who are trying to offer a quick fix or, you know, even with Reiki sessions, even a lot of times you are moving energy and clearing things. But sometimes that brings up, like you said, five other things that need to be cleared. And one session with one practitioner is probably not going to fix Baatig, uh, fixed and done and everything is good again. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And you know, going back to what you were saying, the kinds of clients that I work best with are people who are, who are realistic about their healing, who um, are not looking for a quick fix, that are, are here to listen um, and hear, hear difficult things that may, they may need to do. And even if they may not be ready in that moment to do something about it, but they're ready to hear um, what, needs, what may need to be worked on. Well, and that's really important because a lot of people that I've dealt with and, and probably you've dealt with that we've probably all dealt with want a specific answer from us. You know, they're just like, this <laughs> is what I bias. Yeah. Yeah. And when you tell them no, then some of them get really angry and upset because we're not telling them what they want to hear. But ultimately 
in order to maintain integrity in our work, we have to allow people to just leave. You know, after you say, wow, I've seen this, and is this what you want to continue with? Um, you know, it's, we give them the information, it's up to them to either integrate it into their lives or to reject it outright and go see somebody else. Right, and this is what, you know, my training in social work was, what has been so helpful having that training because we learn in social work school how to not, how to, to navigate client patient or client uh, uh, practitioner transference um, and uh, a client, you know, not taking uh, direction or like if you, if I have a client in front of me who is struggling with a specific addiction and I make a suggestion saying maybe um, here are a couple of, of ways that we could navigate this together. Um, what do you think? And they're saying, like, I have no addiction problem at all. Meanwhile, not only are my, my, is my instrument telling me that that's the case, but like real events, like physical events in their life, like over the course of several months is proof that this is a problem. Um, the training as a social worker going to get that degree, um, you get, you get that training on how to, how to navigate those disappointments or frustrations. So. And that's, that's back into personal care as a practitioner but also those firm boundaries that are just like, okay, yeah, yeah. Because especially like when you're dealing with, you know, kind of multi-level mm -hmm. yeah. trauma, mental health issues, the, you know, kind of the gambit of what people, but we serve as that buffer in, because unfortunately for, you know, I think for the past maybe 15 years, going to see a therapist has become more socially acceptable, shall we say. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, probably when you and I were growing up, it was very taboo. Yeah. It was only for when you had real, <laughs> which we'll say real issues, but you know, um, by the time you got there, it was usually far past when you should have started. Yeah. Yeah. And so for people who are listening to this, who might be into spirituality, because I think you, you hit on a, a wait, let me end one train of thought before I <laughs> start a new one. So for anybody out there who is working through complex issues, through spirituality, through meditation, through um, different studies, and you need support with that, there's nothing to be ashamed of by reaching out for support. I also think if you understand already that you have deeper issues than just who, what does this boy think of me? Or, you know, what's my trajectory in my career going to be, then you should spend a little bit more time vetting the intuitive advisor you're going to chat with, making sure that they have credentials to, so that they're better able to serve you and meet you at the level that you need to be met at. 
I think that's a really great point. Doing a research for a practitioner is, the, is on par with doing research for a, a mental health counselor. Um, at this point in my uh, journey, like I, if I'm going to a practitioner, I'm probably going to go to somebody who is, you know, lauded in the spiritual circles, but also has some kind of peer reviewed degree attached that's linked to mental health that's attached to um, their experience. And that's not to say that I wouldn't go to somebody who um, has great boundaries and has probably goes to therapy. Um, but uh, my favorite practitioners are people who are, um, or the people that I would personally uh, work with are people who are, who would be supervised by a mental health counselor at least once a month while they're holding space for other clients in a counseling or coaching capacity. And that's something that I've always attributed to myself. Like I never felt comfortable giving readings unless I was being, having conversations with a licensed mental health professional um, and talking about, you know, having a client who has specific issues that are very apparent and they refuse to, and dealing with how that makes me feel. Because again, going back to that self-care thing, doing the, making sure that I'm being supervised make is allows me to make sure that I'm, my cup is full enough to be able to be responsible to take care of other people. Right. Well, and key, the key word there is responsible. Yeah. And, you know, and it has come up in the community and I've seen articles written about it and I've seen other people and I've experienced it myself where I was talking to you a little bit about this before we came on, where a client of mine who I was text messaging with, um, told me she was going to self-harm and then she disappeared and cut off all. And I'm in Europe and she's in Ohio and I'm trying to locate her, not knowing her telephone number, not knowing where she is really. And, you know, and I knew she was in kind of a dangerous situation. If it wasn't for her self-harming, there was another violent person around her. So it was just really, and then you, I had to take a step back really with my own practice at that point in time and with my own business side of things and say, am I completely prepared for the um, level of support that I need to give other people? And if I don't feel that I'm at that level of support, what do I need to do to bring myself to that space? That's beautifully said. Thank That's you. Very beautifully said, yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in our space that aren't, aren't necessarily, I don't want to say in and for the right reasons, but fully conscious of the amount of, of course, each person is responsible for him or herself, but we're just in a delicate space, that space where we are holding space. Yes. And, and there have been times where I've been frustrated with that fact. But I also have to look at, you know, my own journey too, because I think that, and, and this also goes back to the idea that this idea of scarcity in, 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 in practitioners, like there's only so many clients out there because everybody, there's, there is somebody for everybody. We're all at different stages of the game. We're all at the different stages of growth. It's not, remove the idea of a game. We're, we're in the stage, all in different stages of growth. So and like I said, you know, my, this has been like a huge journey, this practice of being a practitioner. And I mean, like, you know, 15 years ago, I would have, you know, I mean, I, I still had that ethical, ethical 
part of me, but I don't know that I had a, as full of an understanding of self-care and many of the other little pieces until I lived through an experience like you. I mean, having that person, you know, with that, that moment where that person was uh, going to self-harm. I mean, I think we, people need to have moments like that sometimes to, that are teachable moments that allow us to, because to, we need to have that room to grow, you know? Right. And you don't really understand the, the, the weight of it mm. until you're in that moment. Right. And it's up until then, it's all kind of, you know, theory, <laughs> really. Yeah. Yeah. But I like too that you make sure that you're supported as a practitioner so that you can clear out the energy and disconnect kind of your energy. Because oftentimes as, as advisors, we end up carrying a little bit of the weight of our clients with us. That's why exercise and eating correctly um, and, you know, seeing, seeing a therapist regularly while I'm practicing, especially um, all of those things are important, drinking lots of water. Um, but I have to say, you know, coming from a trauma background, it always, it wasn't always here. Like every, where I'm, in, I'm at now is like, again, like 15 years of business, of practice in business. And then I think 23 years of, you know, really doing spiritual practice in 1999 is when I started reading the tarot and studying meditation and mindfulness and practice and practicing. I, I was practicing Wicca Wic, for a while. Um, and uh, so this is like 23 years of, of learning the hard way, how to navigate the traumatic events of my past. And when I started, uh, I started in, in 2007, when I started doing the work there, I would meet, have similar situations where people were, had poor boundaries. And then I would blame myself if, if things, if a session didn't go well, or if someone said flat out, you're wrong. I had to learn how to trust myself. I had to learn how to trust my instrument. Um, and, and it was only after like many years of like, people that I trusted, other practitioners and friends of mine and family members who were like, no, Rocco, you're good at what you do. Like, and here's like 15 reasons why that I was able to finally start, stop listening to that other noise. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I, even when I, when I took my practice full time, you know, it was, wasn't until three years in that I realized my clients were all people who were survivors of extreme sexual or physical trauma, addicts and alcoholics. Like those were like made up of a, a lot of the people that I was working were having issues, particular issues in the, in these areas. And I had one client who uh, we were working together for a year and we had this, the, we had a breakthrough session. It was like, I remember the first session we had, we laid out this particular question. And in this session, that question was like, 100% like undeniably answered. And we were both like, wow. And, you know, I was able to, I, because of my, my experiences in mental health, I was like able to say, okay, this is not in my wheelhouse. I need to do a little research here to make sure that he uh, or they are um, going to be able to continue doing the work that they need to do because I'm, my work is, is done here. And, or, you know, my work, we, we answered the question you know, and I'm still here, obviously, for coaching practices, but I can't, couldn't at that point do any trauma work. 
Um, and, uh, and in the process of finding resources for my client, I ended up having these, you know, things started unlocking for me. And I had this moment where like the first three years of my business, I had, I was the, the client that I'm here for now, which was like, there's something not here. I really don't know what it is. There's a secret. I don't know what it quite is. And after having seen, this is the second thing that I've learned. Big thing I've learned is sometimes you don't know the healing you need yourself until you see someone in your life that's in the process of healing themselves. And to mm. see my client have this breakthrough, I gave myself the permission to have the breakthrough at myself. And I started to acknowledge the things that my, my younger self was keeping me safe from. And then I ended up in that trauma work, which is what, and eventually led me to getting trauma-informed and founding peer, the peer-supported trauma groups and working with, you know, a hundred different trauma survivors in the Long Island area. Wow. Wow. And yeah. this, this is kind of like the Carl Jung um, wounded healer yeah. kind of thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of us see too. A lot of people who I've talked to in the community have clients who come to them that are bringing their issues to them. And, <laughs> and yes. you know, when you're talking about needing to reach out to a therapist because you're talking to these people and you're working with them through their, um, their healing steps, then you're just like all kinds of triggered afterwards. You're like, is this from me or is this from them? And you have to double check yourself and make sure like, that's why I think too, one of the things, because I've taken coaching classes before, I didn't take the trauma informant, like the, um, I have to do that, but it's in German here. But anyway, um, so you, you end up, becoming aware in some circumstances that you're saying exactly what you need to hear in the moment. Right. And, and it's also worth noting too, that, that the degree program that I was in also trained you had, there were, there were um, practices that will, would allow you to know, to be able to d differentiate and separate your feelings from someone else's. Like there's actual, like, you know, degree training on how to, you know, create the, the internal like partition, you know, like in a hard drive, you know, this is my stuff and this is my client stuff. <laughs> and so you start to learn how to do that um, in, in social work school and in, in mental health school. And right. these are very helpful techniques for a spiritual practitioner to have. Definitely, definitely. Because it, our work is not light. Our work is not like, I'm going to wave my hands and there's going to be a magic <laughs> and then you're going to feel better. I mean, sometimes it happens that they do feel better, but usually then they hit that brick wall again. Yeah. 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 There was something else. I see you have a list of things to say. What are your points? Well, oh, like <laughs> we've actually touched most of them. Um, you know, those were, I was just, you know, uh, the other day I was just kind of going over the things that I wanted to say. And I, I'm very grateful for this forum because it allows me to kind of organize my why currently because coming off of this, you know, these other degrees, like I really have this extra space now that, and I miss, miss giving readings. I miss, you know, 
and I've been doing, and I'm, it's slowly trickling back in. And it's like, you know, it's just so good to, to sit there and, and to work with clients again. So this has been extremely helpful for me to organize. I, and... I totally understand what you're saying. So good. Yay. Cause I like too the fact that you thought about, you know, what you wanted to say and the points that you wanted to make, because I think a lot of people don't think I'm, we take our work seriously. I think that's another thing. I think everybody thinks that we're like, kind of like Phoebe and that, you know, from friends like a bazillion <laughs> years ago from, for anybody that doesn't know, like, you know, kind of just like airy fairy walking through life with, you know, like toxic positivity seeping out of our pores and rainbow colors and, you know, but it's yeah. a lot of us have been there worked through a lot of the cyclical nature are still working through a lot of this this trauma that we but spirituality was a big part of healing and i see people sometimes you know like oh these people are just like skating over the surface and it's just like no it's just that we've learned what we focus on matters. Yes, that's that's very beautifully put. We learned that that what we focus on matters. And I would add to that too. I think the idea, like I said earlier too, about you know being a survivor of complex trauma, I didn't have the 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 brain, I wasn't wired to be able to hear a mentor say, you know, this is, this would be helpful because I was, my wires were crossed. So it, it makes sense that this is for, for everyone out there that has tried uh, traditional industrialized therapy and not had it work. Um, I, that's why I think the quote unquote airy fairy woo woo part of our, our world is so important because it allows us to do the childlike exploration, the the playtime that our inner child needs. So uh, whether that is calling to archangels or fairies or um, doing any variety of work that requires heavy imagination and connections to quote unquote other frequencies, um, I think that it has its place still in, 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 the, in the, the root of all this, because I wouldn't have been, a, been guided to this peer-reviewed degree if I didn't have you know, that playtime for 16 years of you know, channeling and, and, and whatnot. So I think that that stuff is very important. And I think that as, I mean, if you just look at history, when the soldiers returned from World War One, and were had, we had, our bodies were eviscerated from the 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 bullets and the shrapnel and the air raids and the upgraded horror of the warfare that we had experienced levels of trauma that we had never had in human history. So even like the idea of shell shocked and PTSD, I mean, it's taken a hundred years for us to really start to piece together, you know, this complex instrument that we have. So, I mean, during that time, the Dada movement, which was about going back to being a child and the spiritualist movement, 
where people were connecting to mediums and calling across to other worlds. I mean, even the, the, the lore of the Ghostbuster movie from 1984 is rooted in the trauma that we survived from World War I. So oh um, yeah, yeah. I had a, a, a very, uh, a brilliant colleague in my degree pro, in my history degree program who did a uh, brilliant uh, capstone project on the trauma of that horror movies, the trauma of war and how horror movies and horror monsters were our way of dealing with the catharsis of the things that happened in, in, uh, in Europe. So, um, but um, getting back to, just so I can tie all this together, I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit. Um, you know, I think the airy fairy stuff or, or the stuff that people consider, you know, lighter, I think all of that stuff is part is so important and healthy for our inner child to interact with because it'll it is the through it was the through line for me and so many of us to be able to get to get to the healing we need totally and okay so i'm just like i i could i'm all like yes 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 you don't have to apologize for like bringing it around okay yeah I, I, where to begin okay so what you're talking about because right now well number one the community trauma that's felt in in you know like in world war one world war two that's europe is experiencing right now um covid for example is mm. is kind of pushing us oh what was it like where we can explore in real time with new kind of technologies, ideas, and these, these time-honored experimental, peer-reviewed, data-driven, and this, I, I'm still kind of getting into this place where like also with epigenetics and learning about how ancestral trauma yes. can be passed through the DNA so that it shows up not only in, in the first generation that actually dealt with that, then the further generations that have inherited these emotions and, and feeling like, I mean, my great-grandmother was from not 500 kilometers away from where I live right now. And so she was also a refugee from World War I. And so with all of the stuff wow. that's going on right now, yeah, she, she crossed the pond a few times um, because they were coming to her villages and they were yep. doing what they do in war. And so my yep. epigenetic frequency freaked out like when everything started hitting the fan a while ago but going back to it like I could like take little parts of what you said and because then too children didn't people had to cut themselves off mm -hmm. from their emotions because their emotions were not going to serve them in in wartime when they needed to do exactly what they needed to do without variance from they didn't have that. I mean, yes, they had, you know, like you're saying, the, the horror stories or the Lord of the Rings is also, you know, kind of 
reminiscent in, in some ways of war. And where am I going with this? Now I got off my train of thought, but reconnecting with our inner child mm. and that space of imagination and exploration, and also tying that in with, like you said, your instrument, like your intuition, this thing that we've been told not to rely on then it's just beautiful. I'm all like symphonies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have a nice voice. Do you sing? No. <laughs> you, if, you if you took lessons, you'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to your, to, your, to your point about, um, about the inner child and the instrument, I, it, this goes back to how I believe I access this information because this is also something that, <coughs> excuse me, that I've been revisiting is really, I want to be able, I want my clients to understand where this is coming from. And, uh, excuse me. And uh, I, I don't consider myself someone who has psychic powers or who is, you know, um, being uh, filled by this, a spirit of a specific person, place or thing or event. Mm -hmm. I, for me, it's little Rocco who has been nagging me since who you, you just mentioned, you, you brought it, you brought up the, um, the uh, generational trauma and how, you know, they had to have people had to shut down their feelings. And that's what happens to trauma survivors. Their, their younger self, the person who's trapped in that trauma had to shut things down. So, <clears throat> excuse me, they had to shut things down. So, they'll, they'll, them frozen in that time are nagging you because once that trauma ends and you move forward, if that trauma isn't dealt with, <coughs> then um, it constantly pulls and pulls and pulls and it becomes this nagging um, event. And this is, this was me, you know, three years into my practice, I was like, what is this weight pulling at me? And it was because I was ready to hear certain things. So when I say, when I tune in, Earlier on, I would have said, you know, I speak to my spirit guides or I'm channeling, you know. But what I realized after, you know, five years of, of deep trauma work, hard healing, is that <clears throat> this is really my connection to my inner child and my body. <clears throat> and, you know, five years of school learning about biology and trauma and how trauma impacts sensitivity and intuition, we have something called the polyvagal nerve, which is around our stomach. And when we pump cortisol, when we are, we are afraid, <coughs> the uh, adrenal gland pumps cortisol and it fills up all of these tiny little nerves around your, your body. And that is what I accessed when I was younger to be able to sense when the adults were, were moods, um, facial changes, the change in the air, um, what is said or not being said, deep listening, all of those things are triggered through the fight or flight or adrenal cortisol being pumped through our, our body. And this is what I learned in my trauma internship and my trauma training that I, I highly recommend any intuitive, um, who's serious about the mental health aspect do, because you'll learn about these biological factors that really trigger intuition in my, in my experience. Uh, so there's my connection to my younger self. And then there's also, you know, my body is hypervigilant. I mm -hmm. am extremely, 
my talent, my gift, I don't believe comes from a sixth sense. I think it comes from my body being ravaged by trauma for 18 years of my life. So when I'm, I have someone in front of me, like the, 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 it, this is a celebration because now I can still use those things to help other people who have been in that similar situation navigate a way out themselves. So. Right. That's, <coughs> I'm all like, that's fascinating because really I'm, I'm very interested in this then too, because the, what, then what we would assume or perceive as intuitive, you know, reading a room when you walk in or getting information or, you know, kind of being in that state of, like you said, hypervigilance, where you are actually scanning for very subtle changes of people's facial or, or their tone of voice or these things that reads as psychic impressions to an untrained or unscientific person. Right. And what it really is, is us protecting ourselves or preparing to protect ourselves from what's to come. So I don't, I don't believe that the information that I access when I give readings comes from psychic powers or magic. It comes from my uh, body's, you know, training to survive. Right. Which, and what's more human than that or beautiful than that? Well, it's true. It's, it's very like when you say it like that and you think about like hypersensitivity and, and those emotional states and, and just, yeah, generational trauma. And so then it's passed from generation to generation as a hypersensitivity. You have the gift. You have the gift <laughs> grandma had. <laughs> yeah. You have the gift. And it's like, well, grandma was abused and then I was abused and then so on and so forth. It's the generational part that you bring is so important. Well, and but there are some things that I've experienced that are not like in the same room kind of things where I'm just like, you know, like if I'm doing a Reiki session from somebody in Australia or Fiji or whatever, and, and I'm able to point to a doll where this person is having issues, you know, that I can feel and sense that. Yeah. I think that's a little bit different than like the, the, like, or just, yeah, when you walk, like I live in Vienna too, and there are some places that have heavy charges here, shall we say, you know, just from Nazi occupation. Mm. And so, but I think that I'm all like, who, you'll have to send me some names of books that I can look into. Cause I know Joe Dispenza is doing, Dr. Joe Dispenza is doing a lot of the of research on, um, some of the mind, body, hormonal, energetic connections. Here, give me one second. I'll pull a book out. Cool. I must have moved it to a different bookshelf, but the title is, I can't think of the, the doctor, but it's called The Body Keeps Score. I've and heard that, of that. Yeah. That's a really, a really good book to start because it talks about a lot of 
um, of how specifically how trauma, how the body remembers um, certain things. So, which is why, you know, and listen, I, I don't have, have, you know, I, I can't explain everything. And that's one of the great things about science is that it is, we don't have all of the answers, but I would even say that being able to spot a doll that's in another country, even though you would have no, no access to that information. If you read that book, you'll, you'll read other very traumatized people having similar situations where they have access to information where they normally wouldn't have access to information because the event itself reminds them and triggers them of an event where that's similar to that specific item. Huh. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. I'll look it's it a up. Callback. It's a callback of, um, you know, um, of trauma. Well, yeah, a subconsciously stored trauma that, you know, kind of is triggered or pulled up when you're working with this specific situation. So, yeah, yeah. Well, like, oh, juicy. So, yes. If you were to give a piece of advice to people who are just starting out in the psychic field or as readers or intuitive advisors, what would you say to them? Hmm. Take it easy. Take it easy. Don't, uh, hmm. I'm, I can, I'm feeling their excitement and I'm feeling your excitement and I'm feeling your joy. And I feel like it's a kind of a balance of like, I don't want to go, go with the joy, follow that joy, the excitement that you're feeling about your new business, about really connecting with something that you're fabulously good at. And you don't even have a re an understanding of why yet. So it's a matter of love yourself and engage with that joy. Cause that joy is something you will always have if you cultivate it, if you cultivate it properly and with love and respect, respect your body, respect yourself. Um, spend time with people who, who honor you, um, depending on what you, what you, depending on what you've survived, you know, you may have difficulty with connecting with other people, you know, connecting with, with, you know, people who treat you with respect is, you know, helpful and take your time because there's, there's no rush, um, where you, where you can take your time and enjoy, enjoy. I love that. And I love too, the fact that you have pointed out within your own path that you have had, number one, you've doubted yourself and your mm. skills. And number two, that your path has meandered and you've grown as a person and you've allowed your intuition to guide you through different chapters of your work. Yeah, it, this has been, you know, a very humbling, like this work is very humbling and it's, uh, it's difficult and uh, it's, it, it will force you to, to new heights as in your, in our, in your experience as a human. And it will um, show you all different colors of humanity that you wouldn't have any other experience otherwise. So this is a gift. Definitely. Definitely. And I'm all like, one last question. What's, what are you going to do with your law degree? 
if you don't mind me asking. I'll be honest, I'm going to corporate. I'm going to corporate for at least five years. And okay. I want to lear learn law at the highest level in America. And, uh, and then I'm giving myself a, at five years, I'm going to be giving myself a, uh, just kind of check-in. And I'm going to go from there. Interesting. That's a, sh that's a huge shift for you. It's, it's, I just love it. I just, just the training I got, I, the degree in philosophy and the degree in history and what I've learned about how humans have evolved over the, especially I focused on the 20th century. Um, I've have people have evolved over the last, you know, 100, 200 years. The way the law, inter the, the way the law intersects with literally the way we breathe and live is just so phenomenal to me. I was at, um, in my social work internship for my degree and we, I was, you know, on that trajectory to get to just become a therapist. And I was in the legal department and I was sitting there and there was this, this person who, I don't remember what country they were coming from, but if they had, if they, they were there seeking asylum and if they mm. did not, um, uh, were not able to get that asylum, they were gonna be shipped back and murdered by their family because they found out that this person was gay. And in this country, it's a shame against the family. So they had a hit out on this person. Oh, so I was, I was, it was my job in the session to help the person ground through breathing and meditation so that they can continue the conversation. And I remember just looking at this gentleman and like, who was uh, identified as male and just like, there was something that was, you ever look at a client and there's, there's something regal about them. There was something like King-like about this person. And it just, I felt like I was in the presence of someone that had shit to do, like really like, and I, I remember watching the attorney able to, uh, like the able to grant this person or start the process of saving this person's life. And I'm, and I was so taken by how much this, per, this attorney's privileged information was going to be able to change this person's life. And that's the, that's my real why for going back because of the way the law intersects with everything that we do. And being a spiritual practitioner, being someone who has been um, at the most vulnerable of, is at some of the most vulnerable parts of society um, within my, the abuse that I survived, um, having access to that information and the agency of my trauma will be able to help a lot of people. That's, that once you explained it and you clarified it, it sounds so much more connected and, you know, altering, world altering than just kind of corporate law, you know, when, because when you think about it too, like I come from Gary, Indiana, which is like steel mills and chem spills and, and everything. So you're talking about being the person who helps to navigate and make sure that the water is drinkable and the air is breathable and that minorities and otherwise, um, I can't think of the word, oppressed individuals in some circumstances have representation. I think all of us deserve rep representation. It's all of us have uh, having access to those, those, not many people have access to that information. So, um, yeah, and but the the corporate part, I should just just to clarify, you learn you learn law at its highest in in that arena, and okay. you know that stuff. It 
certain credentials, we do live in a society where if you get an Ivy League law degree, people are going to listen to you. Right. Yeah. So having the uh, the agency of my past and also having, you know, the credentials like we have, you know, um, we have our new justice of the Supreme Court. I mean, just watching her she's got the credentials, but she's also got the human compassion and connection. Mm. And that, that is a, a shining soul right there. Right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was another example. So I think over the next 200 years, I think the obsession with prestige is going to shift, but currently it's a very real metric that, that we need to deal with. Right. Well, and just even having this conversation with you and getting to know your rich and broad background and how education and each experience has helped to shift the person that you are and bring you closer. I don't want to, perhaps closer is not the right word, but has so enriched your being and what you have to offer to the world it's I'm like so honored now that you even reached out and had time to have a conversation with me but you know perhaps that prestige does have a place because with your you know taking yourself as an example and seeing where you came from how you shifted your world and how you've used your experiences personally down to your DNA experiences almost to apply to make the world a better place and to do what you need to do to do that. You know, kudos. Kudos is not even, I really admire you and, and what you've done and what you're doing. Thank you, Susan. I really appreciate that. <laughs> it's the least <laughs> you know I'm you're making like, me blush <laughs> well you deserve accolades you know thank you you're welcome I'm really honored so I think I'm going to end this on a high note and tell let's tell people how they can get a hold of you if they are ready to face their stuff and get serious about their healing or if they need a recommendation to somebody who might be able to help them if you're not the right person for them, how can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, right now, my website, uh, which I literally put together last like a couple weeks ago, is roccotarot.com, uh, R-O-C-C-O-T-A-R-O-T.com. Uh, you can uh, reach out, you can leave a message there, you can book a reading there. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn at Rocco Stefano or Facebook at Rocco Stefano, and Instagram is Rocco Tarot. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. So again, thank you so much for sharing and also your patience with me today. And My pleasure. I'm, this has been wonderful. It has, definitely. Thank you so much. I'm like really excited about sharing this with our audience. So again, everybody, Rocco Stefano, Rocco Tarot, and Rocco Stefano on LinkedIn and Facebook. Yes. And yes, and... Don't see him if you just want to get some light, fluffy information. Like he's <laughs> the guy who's going to take you to the next level. So thanks, everybody. We will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.